When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Gretchen Rubin, and this is A Little Happier. I created a personality framework called The Four Tendencies, and I've spoken about it a lot on the Happier Podcast. If you want to find out if you're an upholder, questioner, obliger, or rebel, you can take the free quick quiz at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. For this little story, it's enough to know that obligers are people who readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. They keep their promises to other people, but they often have trouble keeping their promises to themselves. Sometimes, when outer expectations become too heavy, an obliger can fall into obliger rebellion, which is when an obliger meets, 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 meets expectations, and then suddenly that obliger snaps and says, this I will not do. Sometimes it's small and funny. Sometimes it's huge and dramatic. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's destructive in the way it blows up a situation. Sometimes it's directed at other people, like, I'm not going to answer your emails for two weeks, or I'm quitting this job where you exploit me. And sometimes it's turned toward the self with ideas like, with the boss I have, you think I can exercise? No way. And sometimes oblige your rebellion can take the form of what seems like indulgent, but in a way that seems almost angry or resentful, like, I'll show you, I'll eat this entire bag of chips. But who are you showing? This pattern is quite common, but it can seem mysterious, so I can't resist quoting at length from Carl Uwe Knausgaard's memoir, Summer. And I apologize to any Norwegian speakers who are out there because I'm sure I butchered his name. I am a huge fan of Knausgaard. I've read thousands of pages of his voluminous autobiographical work. Knausgaard's writing makes it clear that he's an obliger, and in the essay, Ice Cream, he writes about an episode that strikes me as an obvious example of obliger rebellion. Here's the story he tells, lightly edited. Often the children say, but daddy, didn't you say you weren't going to eat ice cream and sweets anymore? I did say that as my answer then, but the weather is so nice today. 
You ate ice cream yesterday, too, and then it was raining, they say. It's just an excuse you use. Oh, well, I say. Why shouldn't you eat ice cream and goodies, the youngest one asks. Because it makes you fat when you get to be as old as I am. You lot can eat as much as you want, but I can't. It's true that you've become fat, the eldest one says. She is as thin as a rake, no matter what she eats. So can I have another ice cream then, the youngest said, since I can eat as much as I want. No, you can't, I said. Why not, he said. Because you're a child and because you're under my control. But I can eat two ice cream cones, I said. No, you can't, the eldest said. Oh, yes, I can, I said. Stuffed what was left of my wafer into my mouth, stood up and walked over to the kiosk, bought a pistachio cone and walked back to where they were sitting. They looked on in shock and consternation as I proceeded to eat it. Two ice cream cones in a row? In their world, that was something totally unheard of. How come I never thought of that before, I thought as I sat there eating and gazing out at the sea with the children's eyes fixed on me. Why have I never eaten two ice cream cones in a row before? The children still remember that time, even though it was three years ago. To them, it was a demonstration of force, since they didn't get another ice cream, no matter how much they nagged me. To me, it was a joke, although the joke also had a hint of seriousness to it, since it made me understand that I really could do whatever I wanted. That I used that freedom to eat two ice cream cones in a row also gave me a thing or two to think about. I'm fascinated by the pattern of obliger rebellion. Now that I know to look for it, I see it often. I'll put a link to Knausgaard's work in the show notes. And next week, I'll have another story from Knausgaard. I'm Gretchen Rubin, and I hope this makes your week a little happier.